Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Weekly Insight Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Andrew Dore. I want to thank you for joining us after a holiday weekend. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday weekend with family. I also hope you were able to take a few minutes to remember what Memorial Day is all about. It is a very important holiday to remember those who have sacrificed and given all for this country. And I think given what we're seeing in Ukraine today, it's an excellent reminder that freedom isn't free. And so we sit here at Insight, me personally, very grateful for the sacrifices that have been made that allow us to have uh, such a special place to call home. So with that, let's dive into this week. As usual, before we before we start, I want to remind everyone that what we're going to talk about today should not be construed as individual investment advice. You need to take this to your financial planner. This is really us telling you our opinions of what's going on in the world, what's going on in the market. And it may not be applicable for you, but we'd certainly love to talk with you about it. If you have questions or if you'd like to see how it might apply to your personal portfolio, please don't hesitate to give us a call. I got to admit, sometimes it just feels good to have a week like we had last week. You know, we'd been on a seven-week losing streak in the S&P 500. That was the longest since March of 2001, and we finally broke it. We finally had just a really good week in the markets. And as people who have listened to us before know, especially those who listened last week, we announced that we were going to be deploying more capital into equities in our core portfolios. We are going to be de- deploying cash where appropriate. Our justifications for that, a, a strong economy, peaking inflations, etc., they all remain true today. And we're very pleased with that decision. I will also be the first to admit that we got we got lucky on our timing. No one can time the bottom of the market perfectly. We are not smart enough. There's literally no one in the universe that is smart enough to be able to tell you when the market is going to bottom repeatedly. It's not ever that easy. But while we have a really great week under our belts, while we're very pleased with some of the decisions we've made, this is also a really good time to look out and look at the risks that still exist and the opportunities that exist in this marketplace and understand them. So while I think everyone who's been a regular listener, and if you haven't, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to previous episodes, but anyone who's listened to me frequently knows that we've been pretty optimistic for the last several weeks. And so please don't read into what I'm about to say today to be some sort of change in that. It's not. But I do think that it's possible to be both bullish and risk averse. And so this week, we're going to talk about some of those tail risks that still exist out there. Some of the things we should be paying attention to, because it's really easy to get high after a week like last week and feel like everything's great. I hope it is. But we also have to pay attention to the downside risks. So let's dive into them. And and there's really three I want to address today. The Fed, COVID, and Ukraine. So those are some old stories. We've been talking about those for a long time, but I think it's important to do an update on where we stand. So let's start on the Fed because last week, one of the biggest drivers, you know, we had a good day Monday, Tuesday was off a little bit. Wednesday is really when things started to pop in the market. And the reason things started to pop in the market Wednesday was because the FOMC released the minutes from their May meeting. And those minutes were really pretty optimistic, I think I would say, or at least reinforced what the market believed the Fed was going to say. So let's let's dive into that. And there is, in my opinion, the most important paragraph in the the FOMC meetings uh, minutes, I'm going to read to you because this is from from the, the FOMC staff economic projections, and it's specifically talking about inflation. So I'm going to read this. Forgive me for being a little dry here. Quote, 
The staff's projection for PCE price inflation was revised up slightly in the second half of 2022 and 2023 in response to the slow resolution of supply constraints seen over the first part of 2022. A higher projected path for import prices and a judgment that wage increases would put more upward pressure on services prices than previously assumed. All told, total PCE price inflation was expected to be 4.3% in 2022. PCE price inflation was then expected to step down to 2.5% in 2023 and 2.1% in 2024. So what's notable about this? We have had one of the worst runs of inflation that we've seen since the 1980s over the last three or four months. But even with all of that, even after a much worse run-up than anyone was expecting earlier this year, the Fed's expectation for inflation for all of 2022 is 4.3%. That is slightly higher than the 4.1% that they are projecting in early 2022. That came from their January meeting, but it's not notably higher. That means inflation is going to have to rapidly drop in the second half of this year. And it frankly probably confirms our expectation that inflation probably peaked in March or April. And more importantly, their numbers for 2023 and 2024, that 2.5% and 2.1%, are slightly below their original expectations in January and March. So the Fed is saying here that they are starting to see the impacts of the downward trend in inflation, the impacts of interest rate increases, et cetera, et cetera, happen in the market. Now, the rest of the minutes reiterated what Chairman Powell said in this press conference. We should expect 50 basis point rate hikes in the next two, two meetings, the June and July meeting, but the Fed is going to continue to remain flexible. All that's good news and confirmation of what the market was expecting. So where is the risk today? The risk is in the economic data in the meantime. We've been seeing a lot of information that would lead us to believe that inflation is starting to peak. We've seen used car sales down for the last three months. New home sales this last week saw a drop of 120,000 units over the last month. Durable goods orders, while still growing, are growing at a much slower pace than expected. And we saw the wage growth numbers last month start to level out as well. All of that is great news. But between now and when the Fed meets on June 15th and they come out with their what we assume will be a 50 basis point hike in June, what type of data and information are we going to get between now and then? We know inflation is going to be released on June 10th. If that number is a particularly bad print or if we are not seeing the peaking of inflation yet, you can anticipate there will be a lot of volatility in the market between June 10th and June 15th as the market waits to see what the Fed is going to do. So that's a risk. We're not out of the woods yet. Things are improving. But over the next 15 days, we're going to have to really pay attention to that until we hear what the Fed says next time. Next issue, COVID. And, you know, we have not talked about COVID for a long time, either on this podcast or in our weekly insight memos. But we are seeing a spike in cases. And so I think it's important to remember that we can't ignore the tail risks that exist from COVID right now. Thankfully, there is no indication that we're going to have a China situation here in the United States. There's zero COVID policy. At best, it's a folly, in my opinion. The idea that a country of 1.4 billion people can completely eradicate an airborne virus just isn't based on good science. They would literally have to become North Korea, and you cannot cut off 1.4 billion people the way the Kim family has done 
in North Korea for the last 60 or 70 years. But the Chinese COVID policies are having an impact on the global economy. It was announced a week or so ago that Chinese industrial production, which was expected to grow at a slower than normal rate, actually dropped last month in April. So the expectation was that it would grow at 0.4% and actually dropped by 2.9%. At some point, Chairman Xi is going to have to reverse course, but he's in a politically weird situation because later this year they have the Communist Party Congress in which his position is up for, I don't know if you'd call it re-election, but he's up for a vote. He's in a weird political time right now. Here in the U.S., we don't have any indication that policy errors of that magnitude are going to be an issue. But we are seeing cases rise. We we put the data in the weekly insight memo. You can go take a look. Right now, we have a seven-day rolling average of just over 110,000 cases per day. That is significantly higher than where we were. We had dropped below 30,000 cases a day uh, just probably six weeks ago. And actually, that number, 110,000, is higher than where we were at the start of the Omicron peak uh, peak that took place, uh, or excuse me, the Omicron wave that took place starting in December. So 110,000 cases a day is nothing to sneeze at, uh, if you'll excuse the pun. We are starting to see that reflected in news stories. We're starting to see headlines about highest levels of COVID in six months, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The big question here is if there is any desire or will in the government to take more aggressive action? Or are they as done with COVID, if you will, as we seem to be? So I don't know about you guys, but I took my first plane ride here a few weeks ago without a mask on, and nobody was really wearing a mask. It was it was pretty limited. It was a pretty small minority of folks that were still wearing a mask. Are we going to start seeing masks on planes required again? Are we going to start having the conversation about masks in schools in the fall again? All of those things we are going to have to pay attention to. I don't think we're facing any sort of economic shutdown, which is the thing that we would be most concerned about. Why do I say that? Pretty simple. If you go back to last December, pre-Omicron, when we were averaging 85,000 cases a day, we were also averaging 1,300 COVID deaths per day and that number was starting to rise. Today, even though our COVID case counts have been rising for over six weeks, and as I said before, basically tripled in number, COVID deaths are continuing to remain low. Obviously, any COVID death is tragic and and one too many, but we are currently sitting at less than 350 COVID deaths per day, and that's the lowest level we've been at since last July. So if we're being really frank, I think that the, the issue is fatalities, And as long as we are not seeing a significant spike in fatalities, we would anticipate no policy reaction to the current surge. That may be right, that may be wrong, um, but I think it's the thing we have to watch out for. And if there is no significant policy action, the economy should be able to continue to run apace. But worth paying attention to again. And then the last one, Ukraine. This one, I'm, I'm almost a little bit disappointed in all of us. You know, it seems like every time we have one of these tragic events, the world starts to you know, they start out very frustrated and angry and a lot of attention is drawn. But then after time, we seem to normalize things. The, the war in Ukraine has been going on now for more than 90 days, more than three months. And I get it. You can't have minute by minute breathless news on TV and the Internet and everywhere else about a war that has been happening now for 90 days. But the battle is continuing to rage on even if the world isn't paying nearly as much attention. Ukrainians are valiantly fighting for their homes and for their freedom, much like those people, 
that we talked about earlier in the podcast who have given their lives for our freedom here in the United States. But even if we're paying a little less attention, what does this war currently mean for portfolios? And I think there are two ways to address it. There's kind of the broader economic impact, and then there's the impact on commodities that come from Russia and Ukraine. And in terms of the broader market impact, I would make the argument that the broader market is kind of like the media, and it's kind of moved on. The concern would be if there was any sort of significant escalation that would drag NATO into the conflict. And if we're being honest, I think that's less and less likely today. Ukraine has significantly degraded Russia's military, and they've made it significantly less likely or even possible that Putin could engage the broader West in a conflict. What do I mean by that? I think we've all realized that Putin's military is not the mighty Cold War machine that we once thought it was. And as delusional as Mr. Putin may or may not be, I think it would be a far leap for him to go from, all right, now I'm done with Ukraine, let's move on to Poland, let's move on to the Baltics, let's move on to Hungary. I just think even he has to realize he does not have the military strength to execute that sort of conflict. I may be wrong, crazy is a special thing, right? Um, You can certainly, it's hard to discount crazy in a conflict like this, but it seems much and much less likely that we are going to be in that sort of position. Now, remember a cornered and wounded animal is a pretty dangerous animal and they still have nuclear weapons. But beyond that, barring that, we think NATO's involvement continues to be delivering supplies and intelligence to Ukraine. And we think that Putin has largely accepted that fact. So the broader war, the impact on the market's probably not huge. In specific areas though, like commodities, specifically food and fuel, that's where things get interesting. We've talked a lot about inflation for the last several weeks. We talked a lot about food and fuel inflation. We spent some time on this last week. Those are the two areas that the Ukrainian conflict and the sanctions against Russia have the largest impact on food and fuel. Ukraine is a huge supplier of food to the third world, especially wheat, things like sunflowers, etc. Russia is a huge supplier of energy oil and natural gas. Now, we pointed out last week that while we have seen significant inflation in these areas, there's still a much smaller share of wallet than they were 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. So we haven't reached catastrophic levels yet, but it is something to pay attention to. We continue to pick up little weird stories. I was talking with someone in the in the food space, and I'll leave this company's name out of the mix, but they are a large international agribusiness. And they told me that about two weeks ago, they had 70% of their, their crop in Ukraine planted. I found that to be a fascinating number. The fact that Ukrainians are still out there putting crops in the ground in the middle of this conflict. But as they pointed out to me, most of the conflict is happening in the east and most of the arable land in Ukraine is in the west. And so those folks in the west are able to plant their crops. Now, getting their crops out of the ground, getting their crops into grain bins. Do grain bins still exist over there? Uh, Getting their crops shipped when we have what is essentially a blockade happening. That is a whole other issue. And that's one that's going to be worked out over the next several months. But it's notable that I think the situation in terms of planting crops is much better than we'd initially thought. On the energy side, we know that right now that picture is going to continue to remain volatile. But I also think that it's an opportunity. When you look at all of our managed models, nearly all of our managed models, any of them that have exposure to energy, we are now overweight energy in all of those portfolios. And I think that that argument will continue to be a sound one for a while here. 
energy prices, oil, I think, closed on Thursday at about 114, 115. Natural gas is creeping up around the $9 mark. There is nothing right now that would lead us to believe that those prices are going to come back down to earth anytime soon. Why? There's a very interesting thing happening. If you go back to the late 2000s and into the 2010s, you found a period where natural gas prices, as an example, and oil prices rose dramatically. As that was happening, producers, especially in the U.S., were putting a ton of money back into the ground. They were investing in new wells, in new infrastructure. They were exploring new areas. Many of you remember the tales of the Bakken in North Dakota, and that was an oil boom town that was a fascinating example of what happens when the oil industry tries to strike it rich based off of high prices. But prices then collapsed in in the lead up to COVID. And we had several years of very low prices. And when that happened, we saw a lot of energy producers struggle And so now today in this new higher price environment, those energy producers are taking a much different approach. There's a company that we pay a lot of attention to, and many of our our listeners probably pay a lot of attention to, a company called Birchcliff Energy. They're a great example of this. They have basically taken what has been a very good last year to two years, and instead of taking that money and investing it in new wells, they're taking that money and they're paying off their debt and they are focused on forward free cash flow and dividends. They want to return capital to investors. So they're keeping their production flat, but they're not growing their production substantially. That is very different than how things have happened in the last several years, and I would say that is probably going to be a long-term harbinger of cash flow for energy companies and something to pay close attention to. And it's going to be pretty hard for these politicians who have spent the last decade telling the oil and gas industry that they need to go away to now come to the oil and gas industry and be mad at them for not drilling. And so I think that that continues to be a space where we can make some money in the meantime. And it's pretty clear that Russia is not going to be flooding that market anytime soon. So with that, we'll leave it there for this week. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this, taking the time to read the Weekly Insight Memo. I'd ask one thing. If you find any value to this, If you find that this has been helpful, I would ask you to leave a review. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, leave a review. That really helps us. And I'd also ask you if you think that there are friends or family that might benefit from this, shoot them a link so they can take a listen and uh, feel free to send them a copy of the Weekly Insight Memo, which you can find in the show notes as well. So thank you for your time. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to give me or our team at Insight Wealth Group a call at 515-273-1333. We surely appreciate your time today and look forward to touching base with you next week. Thanks so much. Take care. Securities offered through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm. 